This morning on Counterbalance, we will be continuing our conversation from last week about mercy and justice ministries for those who are poor and lack basic necessities of food, clothing, shelter, health care. As always, my co-host for Counterbalance is Beth Minhews, and good morning, Beth. <laughs> good morning, Richard. I take it you really liked that last song. I did. <laughs> it was a good one. Our program this morning also includes a pre-recorded interview with Senator Adam Morfeld. Senator Morfeld is also the executive director of Civic Nebraska, a nonprofit dedicated to strengthening democracy in our state. We have a lot to talk about this morning, but before we get started, please listen to these important announcements from KZUM. Listen local. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Folk and Roots Festival featuring a pre-party event on May 25th at Kincader Brewery located in Lincoln's Rail Yard from 8 p.m. to midnight. With live music by the Miles Jasnowski Band, Mike Semrad and the Riverhawks, and Adam Soul Music. Details on Facebook and NebraskaFolkandRoots.com. And... Rise Up, Star City Pride 2019, June 7th and 8th at the Lincoln Journal Star event lot. Rise Up celebrates the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Revolution with vendors, live music, drag performances, celebrities, and local favorites. More at StarCityPride.org. And from... Jazz in June, presenting live jazz every Tuesday in June at 7 p.m. at 12th and R Street near the Sheldon Museum of Art. Jazz in June is a family-friendly event for all with a market at 5 p.m. with food vendors, crafts, and more. Details for the season's lineup, VIP seating, and meet and greets at jazzinjune.com. Welcome back to Counterbalance. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am particularly excited to get uh, Jazz in June started for the year. Um, <clears throat> I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah, Connection Point is going to be out there with Cause Collective and have a booth, I think, three of the four weeks. Fantastic. So That's great. A great way to spend Tuesday evenings in June. Well, we want to welcome you back to Counterbalance, a progressive Christian radio talk show that focuses on social, ethical, spiritual, and faith issues from a progressive Christian perspective. Beth Benhusen and I are co-hosts of Counterbalance, and we also are both pastors at Christ Connection Point United Methodist Church, one church with two locations at 4530 A Street, as well as 1333 North 33rd Street. Uh, that's a connection point here in Lincoln, and that's at the corner of Star and North 33rd. That's right. Um, and, at, and at Christ Connection Point, we strive to welcome, include, and affirm all people, whatever their ethnicity, economic class, gender, or sexual orientation. We recognize that all people are created in the image of God and loved by God for who they are. For more information about our church, please visit ChristUMCLink.org. Uh, link is spelled L-I-N-C, so ChristUMCLink.org. And also check out ConnectionPointLNK.org. Beth, over the past week, I've been doing a little reading about a controversy which is raging throughout the Southern Baptist uh, denomination oh boy. concerning social justice. Hmm. Uh, the question concerns the place and role of social justice within the life of, of uh, Christian discipleship. Last fall, a group of Southern Baptist pastors and other leaders 
wrote a position paper entitled um, Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. They created a website for their document and asked other Southern Baptists to sign it, uh, indicating that they would agree with it. Currently, the statement has over 10,000 signatories, and the statement is comprised of 14 affirmations and denials. Let's hear them. So for, I'll just give you an example. Uh, one of them says this. It says, quote, We deny that political or social activism should be viewed as the integral components of the gospel or primary to the mission of the church. Though believers can and should utilize all lawful means that God has providentially established to have some effect on the laws of a society, we deny that these activities are either evidence of saving faith or constitute a central part of the church's mission given her given to her by Jesus Christ her head. Wow. Uh, that's pretty diametrically opposed uh, to everything that we uh, that we're about at Christ Connection Point, um, the church that Richard and I serve at, at, at Christ Connection Point. Uh, we actually worked to identify uh, four core responsibilities of faithful discipleship, and they include uh, working for justice, seeking God, acting inclusively, and serving others. Well, as I said, Beth, this uh, statement is quite controversial, and uh, many leading figures in the Southern Baptist Church have refused to endorse it or to sign it. Rightly so, I think. In fact, I think in our own church, I just signed a statement that uh, was totally opposite to this in our denomination uh, that, that came out of a meeting in, in Minnesota uh, that was all about how the gospel is for social justice and for people on the margins. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting to look at those two documents side, side by, by side. Side by side, it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, Richard, why do you think that working for social justice is such an integral part of Christian discipleship? Well, for me, um, it grows out of my understanding of God's love. Uh, as a, a Wesleyan Christian, not a, not a Southern Baptist, mm -hmm. I believe that the singular most important thing about the gospel is God's love. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that God's love for each person is so deep and, and unfathomable that it is literally beyond my finite human comprehension. I can't even conceive of how great God's love is for me and for other people. You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. In other words, the transcendent God loves us so much that the divine became human, became incarnated or enfleshed in order to demonstrate the depth and scope of God's love for us. That's great, Richard. I, I think we've all heard uh, John 3.16 um, and, and lots of churches like to, like to use that verse to say what they're about, but, but how does that connect to justice? Well, um, Uh, I would say uh, that it, um, but I, I, let, me, let me put it like this. I believe that um, the only possible response to God's love for us is to love God and to love others in return. And I would, as a 21st century Christian, I would also say to, 
to love not just our neighbors and, and other persons, but to love creation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's important for us to love ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite uh, biblical verses is the in the first letter of John, chapter 4, verses 19, 19 through 20, which say, We love because God first loved us. Those who say, I love God and, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot possibly love God whom they have not seen. So I guess what I think about it is is that when someone we love is suffering, then we want to help that person. If they are sick, we want to get them medical care. If they're hungry, we want to get them food. If if they're homeless, we want to help them find shelter. Right, and at Christ Connection Point, we call helping others like that um, acts of mercy. Uh, for example, our, our food pantry, Open Shelf at Connection Point, um, served over 1,400 people last month. Um, so our neighbors who, who were hungry and came in for food and, and meeting a need like that um, is what I call mercy. Right, and, and I agree. But um, as important as those acts of mercy are, they only provide temporary uh, assistance. Um, if we provide a warm meal for someone who's hungry today, <clears throat> then they're likely to be hungry again tomorrow. So the way I think about God's love and about our response of, to God's love by loving others is that if we truly love another person, then we can't be satisfied with just helping them provide food for, for providing food for them for a day. To, to truly love someone means that we want to make changes so that they can get on their feet and become self-sufficient and independent and have the dignity that comes with that. Sometimes that means working for social justice, trying to change the social and institutional structures which prevent someone from becoming truly self-sufficient. To truly love someone means to work for justice for that person. So therefore, I believe that in order to truly love another person, works of mercy need to work in partnership with working for justice. Absolutely. Um, I think we talked last week about the, um, the give a man to fish analogy, mm-hmm. um, but there's another analogy uh, call, fondly called uh, uh, babies in the river. <laughs> and the story goes that, um, so you know, you're, imagine you're standing on a riverbank uh, watching the, the, the water go by, and all of a sudden you see a baby in the water. Well, of course, what you're going to want to do is reach down and save the baby from the water. Right. But as you save that one, there's another one. In this story, and another, another one, baby comes. And another baby right. uh, that are floating de- in the river. Um, and so then the question becomes, uh, do, you, do you stay on the bank where you are and start picking the babies up out of the river one by one? Or do you go to the, the, the head of the river and mm-hmm. figure out how they're getting there in the first place? Right. Uh, and so... The question is, which is more important? Yeah, which is more important? Getting the babies out of the river or... or figuring out how they're getting there. Trying to stop how they're getting into the river in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, in that analogy, kind of related to, to mercy versus justice that we were talking about, right. I think generally we would call you know, staying downstream and picking the babies out of the river one by one, we would call that mercy, you know. That's right. You're saving one baby at a time. Um, But then going upstream, 
and figuring out how they're getting in there and putting a stop to that right. um, would be justice. That's right. And they're, and they're both important. I mean, mm-hmm. it, sometimes when I, I use this illustration, I say, well, which is the most important? Um, getting the babies out or going around? And it's sort of a trick question because they're both very, very vitally important. Right. And as I think about this, I was uh, reading on, on the internet earlier this week, um, somebody who was there was a post a facebook post and it said it was titled thank you and it said if you are uh you know an environmental activist who is um who has stopped using plastic bags and plastic forks and 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 straws but you um you know you don't include um trans women in your definition of feminism thank you and it went on to say if you do all you do one thing but don't do another thank you like we all just have to do what we can do mm-hmm. and work together and be in community so that everything we need to do gets accomplished right um and with the babies in the river analogy um thinking about it now i see how well, yes they're both important and in order to do both we need community mm-hmm. um so we need you know at least two people uh you know maybe me pulling babies out of the river and you going upstream to stop them from getting there in the first place right um so and and that so that they're both important right we, they're important work mm-hmm. and um so the the two the two sides should be grateful to one another right. i mean if I'm going up to find out why the babies are falling, maybe there's a hole in the bridge or something, mm-hmm. then I need to be grateful that, that you're pulling the babies out until I get the hole repaired, for right, example. Exactly. Right, exactly. We need each other. Yeah. Um, those of us who are, who are working uh, for justice uh, definitely need people who are providing the, the mercy necessary um, to, to assist people until we, get, until we achieve justice, which, right. as we know, is a... Is a constant struggle and uh, probably a battle that will nev- be never ending as we think about uh, building a whole world of, of equity and justice for all. That's a really big challenge. But um, I, as Christians, I know that's one of you and I, at least our Christian beliefs, that's one of our biggest motivators and our mm-hmm. biggest hopes is for a world that where everyone does have equal access and experiences equity and, and lives in a world that is just. Right. Um, so That's called, and for me, it's envisioning God's reign here on earth and mm-hmm. we're working to, to help uh, make that happen. Um, I do think that, well, you know, I think that both are important and um, very important. Right. There's a song that, um, that we sing at my school. I go to I Live School of Theology in Denver, which is really um, socially justice oriented. And uh, there was a... a professor there, one of their more well-known professors was Dr. Vincent Harding, who was uh, a friend of Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, did a lot for the civil rights movement. And he rewrote a song um, that a lot of Christians are familiar with, uh, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. Right. Um, but he changed the, wor- the words to, We Are Building Up a New World. We Are Building Up a New World. We Are Building Up a New World. Builders Must Be Strong. And so that's something, and then we sing, each verse changes, you know, courage, sisters, don't get weary. And then we go, courage, brothers, don't get weary. Um, And so to me, I mean, that kind of, that song, like kind of encapsulates the vision of of what we're talking about. It's not, you know, you know, we're going to pray for a new world. We're building it. Right. Uh, We have to, we're building the new world. And um, are you going to sing the song? 
Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, That's I'm, a great idea. Though. I mean, I really like yeah, what I think you said about it. If the, you would like to hear the song, I believe the Flowbots uh, have a recording of it. Um, so you can check that out. They just put out an album that's all like new protest music. So they took some older protest songs mm-hmm. like that one, and then they, um, they've written, they've co-written with their community um, protest songs for the 21st century as we think about things like the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and that's a really good album, and I believe that song is on there. Um, so yeah, check that out. Uh, So as we talk about justice, um, I think it's important to lift up people in our community who are working for justice in a big way. I do too. And one of those people um, in our community here in Lincoln and across the state of Nebraska is Adam Moorfeld. He is one of our state legislatures. He is the founder and executive director of Civic Nebraska. Um, And we got, I got to interview him yesterday. Right. So let's uh, let's hear that interview. All right. Here we go. This morning, we want to ask uh, Senator Adam Morfeld uh, what his view of justice is. And our first question uh, is, how does uh, Civic Nebraska, the nonprofit that you founded and run, how does it work for justice uh, in our state? Well, thanks for having me first. And mm-hmm. second, um, I think that, you know, Civic Nebraska's whole mission is to create a more modern, robust democracy for all Nebraskans. And mm-hmm. we put an emphasis on that all. Um, and for us, it's about making sure that everybody understands that they have power and agency in their community and how to take action and then also how to get other people to take action with them in productive and civil ways um, to enact the change that they want to see in their community. Absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, and how could our listeners get more involved in Civic Nebraska? How could the, the average person who's disconnected get connected to, to your work? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you know, there's a lot of different ways. And the great thing about Civic Nebraska is that we're an organization that is mission driven, but we also have a diverse array of programs. So our first program is our youth civic leadership and engagement programs, Mm -hmm. which currently serve about a thousand students a day in after school programs in Lincoln and Omaha. There are programs that we where we run the entire after school program or just the club called Street Team to get young people engaged in their community and their democracy Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, during the day programs with teachers. So um, we're taking on three more entire after-school programs in Lincoln So next year. So that's Lincoln High, Lincoln Northeast, and Randolph Elementary, and we're already at Campbell Elementary. We also have programs in Omaha. So if people want to volunteer for those programs, they can get in touch with us at civicnebraska.org. We also have civic health programs where we are working in the six core neighborhoods surrounding downtown Lincoln and mm-hmm. um, Lincoln here. And we're going door to door. We're asking people, what do you love about your neighborhood? What are some of the things you want to change? And getting people plugged in and involved with um, creating that change. Um, and, you know, we're also doing civic health programs centered around what is civic health? What mm-hmm. does that look like? And how can I um, be a part of changing that civic health um, for the better? Um, and then our third program is, is our voting rights program. So mm-hmm. once people are engaged in their community and their democracy and they're excited about that, um, we want to make sure that our elections are nonpartisan, accessible and modern. And through our voting rights program, we have everything from know your rights trainings um, to uh, election protection trainings where we have nonpartisan election observers that are volunteers Mm -hmm. um, during the major elections that are observing elections. And we have a training program for that. So you can get in touch with us at civicnebraska.org about that as well. So there's a lot of ways to get involved, um, but we 
we really appreciate our volunteers. We wouldn't be able to do it without them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw just last night on Facebook about the new uh, CLC programs going in in the fall. That's, yeah. that's really exciting. Um, so I'm looking forward we're, to We're really excited. And, you know, with the CLCs, um, you know, getting into high school after school programs and CLCs is kind of new for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're mostly in elementary um, right. after school programs and in a middle school. Um, but we think that civic leadership and civic engagement, we start way too late um, mm-hmm. for, with youth on that. Um, we think that we should start in, you know, kindergarten, first grade, um, second grade. And right. young people at that age have agency and they have ideas and, and they should be explored and, and celebrated. Right. So that really expands your idea of, uh, you know, access to democracy for all. You yeah, know, all ages, all ethnicities, everything, which is awesome. Um, so in your work for justice with Civic Nebraska and uh, in our legislature, um, what role do you see for for religious institutions, you know, people of, mm-hmm. of any faith? How can how can we be allies with uh, people like you who are who are working in the nonprofit world and and uh, making the laws in our country? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, Civic Nebraska, we work with all kinds of organizations, um, non-faith-based, faith-based. You know, I think that it's really important for faith-based organizations. um, And, you know, every faith is different, and Mm -hmm. I can't pretend to know um, (laughs) every every religion and every faith, but Mm -hmm. based organization, but I I think in general, um, most faith-based organizations um, are premised in an idea of equality of opportunity and equity mm-hmm. and justice. And um, I think that it's really important to talk about that and um, to talk about um, equity and equality of opportunity and the sense of justice and do it in a way that, you know, is do no harm. Um, right. I get a little bit concerned sometimes when there's faith-based and non-faith-based organizations, quite frankly, um, Mm -hmm. come down to the Capitol and they want to um, restrict people's rights or make it so that um, certain people um, can't have justice in the way that other people can. And so I think it's really important that um, faith-based organizations um, talk about how equity and justice are a part of their religion um, Mm -hmm. and that everyone should have access to equity and justice not just in name, but in law. Right. Absolutely. Um, and kind of building on that, um, to what extent do you think like religious and, and moral values in general um, should be involved in lawmaking? I know I've been kind of confounded just in the last few weeks uh, with the things that have been going on uh, you know in Alabama and Georgia Um, like I think that my morals should be involved in lawmaking Uh, but sometimes it's it's hard to accept when other people other people are making decisions based on their moral values I just don't happen to agree with them Um, yeah so like how do you how do you view that yeah it's tough and it's complicated um, because you know I think that even the people that I vehemently disagree with down at the Capitol who base their their policy position on a religious basis or even a non-religious mm-hmm. basis, um, you know, it's hard for me to say that they're not coming at it in a genuine or sincere way. Right. Um, we just see things differently, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a tough question because, you know, you cannot separate your morals with lawmaking to Mm -hmm. a certain extent. You just can't. I mean, lawmaking, I mean, 
the creation of laws is a reflection of our morals and our values as a state and as a people uh, right. because we are representatives of the people, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just think that, I think that personally, I am a person that believes in do no harm and equal access to justice. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a, as a straight male, um, I believe that my gay colleague should have equal access to justice Mm -hmm. in terms of non-discrimination, in terms of uh, maintaining their dignity as a human being, as anybody else. Um, And if I, as a straight individual, have that access to not be discriminated based on my my sex Mm -hmm. or my age, then my gay colleague um, should have that same access to justice. I think that's justice. And I think that the biblical teachings that I was brought up on, um, I was raised Catholic, um, also tell me that that should be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and that justice is about equity and about fairness and about equal access. Um, and so, um, but I have um, Catholic colleagues um, who have very different views than me on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that is why we have debate. And that is why I think that you have to have people of all religious backgrounds, all faith backgrounds, and sometimes the same faith background as you who mm-hmm. disagree <laughs> coming okay. down and creating a marketplace of ideas at the Capitol. Um, mm-hmm. Because nobody has a monopoly on good ideas. Um, but oftentimes there's certain people that have ideas that speak out more than others. And so, mm-hmm. um, so you have to have your voice heard, but I can't answer your question directly. <laughs> it's a complex question. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think, um, you know, I was reflecting on, on it and over the last week and I, part of it goes to being able to have those conversations and engage in that marketplace um, without getting defensive or, you know, into mm-hmm. the fight or flight mode. And yeah. I think that seems to me to be what often breaks down civil discourse um, yeah. so often. Yeah, um, and, to, and to, to build off that for a second with Civic Nebraska, uh-huh. um, you know, one of the, the beautiful thing about Civic Nebraska is we truly are nonpartisan. We have Republican board members, we have liberal board members, we have um, independent board mm-hmm. members, you know, we have all kinds and everything else in between. You know, my deputy executive director is a Republican, I'm mm-hmm. a Democrat, and for us, we don't so much care about what people think. We just care that people are thinking about things right. and creating solutions and engaging in civil discourse. Mm-hmm. And in our civil discourse programs, one of our number one tenets of civil discourse and how to talk about civil discourse is that in order to have civil discourse, you have to step back and listen to people first. You can't connect your values with other people's values if you don't listen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a little bit harder to listen to certain people <laughs> than others based on your life experience, based on your race, based mm-hmm. on your background, whatever the case may be. But if you really, truly want to, you know, move the dial and change hearts and minds, you first have to listen to people to be able to connect your values with their values and understand what their values are. And um, that's tough to do sometimes. I have a tough time doing it. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's the first step to civil discourse. And that's the first step also 
to creating common ground on tough issues. Right. Absolutely. That's great advice. I think we might have to have a whole nother conversation someday just about civil discourse. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm happy to do it. (laughs) And how to do it. Yeah. That's something that we talk a lot about um, and kind of envision our role perhaps uh, as churches. That's a big part of our role. We, Richard and I have talked about um, perhaps is trying to to teach people in our setting how to have civil discourse um, and listen as a way to contribute to democracy outside of our walls. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Adam. Thank you for being with us and uh, reflecting with us on on justice and and how that relates to to faith and civics. Uh, We really appreciate your time. uh, And thank you for being with us and with our listeners here on KZUM. That was a great interview, Beth. I'm really glad we were able to catch uh, uh, Senator Morfeld before uh, this this particular program. Uh, I thought he brought out some really interesting uh, points and in in particular, I'd just like to mention, too, um, one was, um, I think this is really just brilliant, Civic Nebraska's commitment to getting youth and even small children uh, civically involved. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have always had a low record or low turnout of voters in elections, even a, a big controversial election we're doing good if we get 50, 60% of the eligible vote, voters to vote. Mm-hmm. And I've, I wonder if uh, part of that is because we do a good job of teaching our children intellectually about the importance of democracy and about voting, mm-hmm. but we don't give them an opportunity and we don't um, uh, give, uh, you know, encourage them to get involved at, a, at an early age and to develop those civic skills, if if you will. And um, plus, I think children and youth have some really interesting ideas about about different uh, situations that we're facing in the world today. And mm-hmm. so I, I thought that was a, a good point in the interview and, and really hats off to Civic uh, Nebraska for making this one of their priorities and really working to develop that it's a culture, that civic, right. civic culture, mm-hmm. even with children and, and youth at, a, at, a, at an early age. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the second thing that I really liked was your discussion about churches as a safe space for civil discourse. Mm-hmm. I think that that's really important uh, as well. And I've always envisioned churches as being a place where we could come together and, um, if we're intentional about it, be able to have a discourse a conversation about matters that are important to us and, uh, you know, uh, learn from one another, even though we disagree. Uh, I've taught ethics um, uh, for part of my life. And one of the things I used to say in my classes to my ethics students is that, um, you know, we'll be talking about a case study or about some ethical issue. And you may find yourself in an intense debate with another student and uh, you should see that student that you disagree with as your best friend because it's in that d- discourse back and forth that we really clarify and, and gain a better perspective of our own ideas. Right, absolutely. Um, and so I think, um, you know, the, the, because of things like what the particular group of Southern Baptists are, have been talking about for the last year, um, churches... Uh, I think have gotten a bad rap, maybe deservedly, for kind of being irrelevant in our society at this point, or being more doing more harm than good in right. some cases. But I think one place that um, that we can do 
what the churches can do, what they were intended to do all along. Um, and one way that they can, we can really contribute to democracy in our uh, communities is, is by teaching people how to have civil discourse. Because if we think about what people come to church for, I mean, from the time the kids are really little, right. you know, they come to learn. Like, that's one thing that they do. Right. And they, people come to, to worship God also. Well, to, but. <laughs> I was getting there. Um, so to worship God and to learn and to be in community. And so I think we have an opportunity when people are coming to us um, for skills, hopefully skills that are Christ-like, right. um, we have a real opportunity to teach people in community in that kind of controlled environment, in a sense, mm -hmm. how to engage in civil discourse, um, because it could have so many benefits, um, you know, like I said, outside of the church, uh, in our communities, in our world. Um, the other thing I wanted to, we need to go to a break here pretty soon, but um, just picking up on what you said about the strength of um, Civic Nebraska's work with youth and, and giving kids opportunity to be involved early on. Um, I think so often we, we don't give kids choices. Um, you know, it's kind of right. my way or the highway. Uh, I think there's maybe a movement to give kids more choices uh, in, in parenting and teaching. Um, but I think that's one thing that is over as a young adult that is overwhelming sometimes is there are so many choices. And um, May perhaps in some ways, even I feel like I wasn't equipped to make all of these choices and to have the responsibility of making some of these choices. Right. And so to give kids that practice early on, um, you know, with choices like what they do in their CLC programs after school or how they want to contribute to uh, the school event. One thing that was really cool, um, we went to Civic Nebraska's uh, annual um Awards. Awards ceremony right. a few weeks ago, and they had kids from their CLC there um, performing, and they had this little cheerleading group <laughs> from Campbell, and that was how they wanted to contribute to the awards ceremony was by showing off their cheers, um, you know, and their big smiles were amazing, and, and they had fun doing it. Um, and so, like Adam mentioned, you know, giving kids um, that agency is really important and I think does really help develop future future leaders and future even just civic involved citizens which is what we need are citizens who are involved and using those rights that they have access to like voting right you know i think what we're saying here is that uh civil discourse is a practice mm -hmm. you, you know it's something that it's a, a practice that you have to work at to become competent and and good at mm -hmm. uh just like Playing the violin is a practice, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, throwing a curveball is a pra practice. So is being involved in a constructive way in civil discourse. Well, we need to take a station break. Uh, there is was one point that, uh, by the way, that Adam made that I, I sort of disagree with, and if we have time after <laughs> the break, I'll come back to that. Um, but. We'd be interested in uh, comments and questions from our listeners today about justice and uh, about the uh, anything that you'd like to say about the uh, interview with Senator Moorfeld, um, especially about the role of the church in civil discourse. Uh, we'd like for you to call in. The phone number to call in is KZUM. Uh, I'm sorry, the number to call in at KZUM is 402 474 5086 and press extension one. Let's go to a break now, Beth. 
Welcome back to Counterbalance here on KZUM 89.3 and KZUM HD. Uh, I'm your host, Beth Menhusen, along with my co-host, Richard Randolph. Uh, and we just want to say how much we love KZUM. Uh, before, we were programmers here. We were listeners. That's right, uh, we were. Who really valued... We still are. We still are. Yeah, we didn't stop being listeners. Um, who just really valued everything that KZUM contributes to the community. Um, not only on the radio, but with uh, the live events that they support. Um, And it's important for you to know that you have the opportunity this month to make a really big difference uh, in our community by supporting KZUM through Give to Lincoln Day. Um, It's really kind of Give to Lincoln Month. Uh, And this is a time when the Lincoln Community Foundation, along with their many generous sponsors, have set up a $450,000 matching funds pool. And every donation that you make to KZUM this month has a chance to qualify for matching funds from that pool. Uh, it's the only time this year that our, your contribution qualifies for such a match. Um, and so if you value KZUM as much as we do, if you value the great music, the great uh, talk shows, um, the great public service announcements, uh, and the great events that we bring to the community, uh, then consider giving to KZUM uh, during uh, Give to Lincoln. You can give online at KZUM.org or you can call us at uh, 402 Four seven four five zero eight six extension one um, to make your contribution, and you can use that same number if you have a question for us about our show this morning, and would like to call in, and we will address your questions or take your comments. Um, That's right, Beth. You know, just uh, before we leave the the Give to Lincoln Day uh, program, the, um, this is a this is a great opportunity to really leverage your your gift uh, because uh, there will be some uh, matching funds from uh, the Lincoln Foundation. So it's a way to to support um, Counterbalance uh, Radio as well as uh, KZUM Radio and uh, to to leverage your gift. So it's it's a it's a really a good time to make a a large contribution to uh, to this uh, radio station and all of the all of the things that this station provides in addition to counterbalance. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So before the break, we were talking about justice um, and we we interviewed uh, State Senator Adam Warfeld. Um, We we played an interview that I did yesterday with him and uh, we're interested in your comments if you'd like to call in at 402-474-5086. but also, we just want to pick up on that conversation. Right. Um, Richard, before the break, you so enticingly said that there was something that you disagree with the senator about. What is that? Well, um, it's, a, it's a disagreement with basically his idea of, um, I, I think he was indirectly defining justice or defining for him, you know, what, um, uh, what, what, was, what would count as good um, civic engagement. And he, he talked about uh, doing no harm or, you know, building up, uh, doing things positively for uh, different uh, groups. And then he talked about the importance of equal access. And I don't disagree with either of those, but I, I, again, I am <clears throat> deeply um, persuaded by the philosopher Martha Nussbaum, whom we talked about uh, uh, last, year, uh, last week. Uh, Nussbaum is uh, part of a school of philosophy called the Capabilities Approach, which says that it's not just enough to have equal access, that in addition, individuals 
need to have the equal resources so that they can develop who they are through education or through experiences or in, in, in many different ways. And so uh, it's if it's not a level playing field, then it doesn't really matter if it's equal access. So mm. uh, the capabilities approach points out that certain things need to be provided in order to have a, a, a cap- in order to have a level playing field. So for example, um, for students, you need to have uh, adequate nutrition. If you're hungry, at least when I'm hungry, I don't focus as well. Right. Uh, if you live in an area where you're constantly concerned about your personal uh, safety, then uh, that would be uh, a tilted uh, playing field. And so in these different ways, the capabilities approach tries to to build a sort of a, a thick understanding of justice. Whereas uh, I think in an interview, it's, it's sort of uh, uh, pragmatic uh, to uh, offer a, what we would call a thin view of, of, of justice because we're concerned more about the time. But, but I do just want to point out uh, Nussbaum and others, uh, Amartya Sen is another uh, philosopher in this area who've pointed out the importance of creating an equal playing field. Mm-hmm. And, and then if you step back and if you look at, uh, at Adams uh, Civic Nebraska, you know, what is he doing uh, with the, one of the priorities uh, uh, in terms of going into schools, uh, elementary schools and now high mm-hmm. schools, he's working to build that level playing that level field. Playing field. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a sort of a quibble that I have with, with what he said uh, there. I think that if he were here in the studio, he'd agree with me. Probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, like you said, the work that Civic Nebraska is doing kind of demonstrates that um, that value of leveling the playing field, um, you know, whether or not they articulate it specifically, because certainly I know for sure that their work at, at Campbell Elementary and their CLC there is doing that. Um, we talked a little bit last week with Alin from the food bank about um, the getting ahead and a just getting by world program. Right. And Campbell is one of the the locations that, that hosts that as a Civic Nebraska employee um, that hosts a getting ahead class. Um, and and that's all about, you know, leveling the playing field for sure. Um, and I know that that's what they're doing with those kids too, is giving those kids that maybe couldn't, um, you know, afford to be in a lot of extracurriculars or whose parents just don't know about them, uh, the opportunity to be involved in the, in the CLC in an accessible way um, and gain some, some different skills and talents and, and build, build on those. Right. I'm trying to just uh, recall a story that she told last week about... Um, a kid they were working with who uh, initially couldn't conceive of, you know, going on and and taking on a position of um, responsibility, mm-hmm. and then, but through her through the work in that program, she began to be able to to see herself in a completely a completely new way. Right, um, and that's part of the capabilities of approach. Is if you grow uh, grow up and you um, and you are, um, uh, let's just say you are a, a, a little girl of color and all of the doctors that you see are white, white men, yeah. then um, it may not occur to you that, hey, I can be a doctor. Right. And, and so, you know, nobody gets into medical school by, by accident. So mm-hmm. uh, you have to have that ability to envision yourself in that, in that in role. role. Yeah. And that's a part of, of capability. It's having... This approach is saying people ha- need to have 
the dignity uh, that comes along with being self-sufficient in order to be able to even conceive and dream about about doing uh, something uh, something uh, that requires a lot of investment in their lives. Right, and that that you bringing up that example um, kind of you know, makes me think about it's a question of representation uh, and how that might be viewed as part of justice. I think that's one thing that we've seen um, kind of in more so in, in Hollywood lately <clears throat> is the uh, is the number of, of color of actors of color uh, you know being on the screen and, and being directors behind the camera and that's really being um, highlighted as a great example of representation and uh you know the by seeing it allows you know young children to see themselves um in in such roles Mm -hmm. um and i was thinking about this in relation to um to the church this week uh and thinking about how um how important it is as you know church leaders or social justice leaders or you know uh chair you know people doing mercy in, in, in the community, um, how important it is to, for us to have diverse uh, representation up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, so, you know, our church has these, not our, our denomination has these two groups that are kind of trying to decide the future of the church. And one is led by white men and the other one is very, very diverse. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so both are doing good things. I mean, right. even though they're, they're, White men can do good things, and they are. Um, Thank you. As yeah, a white man, I, I appreciate you saying you're that. You're welcome. Uh, I feel I needed to affirm you. Um, but the but the other group um, just does what the the white male group can never do, just by virtue of representing marginalized communities, like in their very bodies, you know, as mm-hmm. they lead this coalition. Um, and I think that's really important. And one that's one thing that, um, you know, people at our church have been talking about is how do we get more, how do, how do we let those on the margins lead instead of, you know, you know us middle-class white folks always be taking the lead to help them, right. you know? Um, and in some ways, that's what the capabilities approach is about is empowering those people on the margins um, to help themselves and and to be the leaders eventually of all of us, um, which is part of of that vision for a just world is, you know, everybody has the the, the access and the capability and the resources um, to, to, to live the most flourishing life that they can, the flourishing life that they want to live right. and, and to be leaders for change in the ways that they want to see change. Right. Um, just a couple of things about that. Uh, for me to be a lead of flourishing life uh, means that there needs to be, uh, we need to have dignity uh, we need to have a, a sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that is not being in a de- dependent relationship where I'm dependent upon open shelf uh, to help me provide food for my family at the end of er- every month, for mm-hmm. example. But but to have that, the resources to be able to, to be self-sufficient and uh, uh, self, uh, self-providing. Um, another thing I, I just want to, we're sort of winding down now. I, I just want to go back to something uh, else about civil uh, discourse, and that is um, the role of humility. 
Um, we've been observing and with the Southern Baptist and their controversy over social justice and United Methodist and with their controversial uh, controversy over sexual uh, human sexuality, uh, a lack of a lack of humility, uh, I think, is um, and, and we see it in the broader society and you know in in the debates that are going on. Uh, now um, we have become polarized as a society, and we're moving towards being polarized within the church. And mm-hmm. I think that an important check is uh, to have a sense of humility, to be able to say, um, "I may be wrong on this, but this is what I think." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes to a willingness to step aside and say, "I know that you know." I could do this, but I need to create space. Um, that that sense of humility, I think, is um, something that is missing um, in society and in our uh, in, and in many uh, many many churches and denominations. Right. Well, I want to pick up on what you said about sometimes needing to to step aside and and create space. And I would say, you know, create space for sometimes for somebody else to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing. Um, I can't remember. It was so. It was right before we started our Lenten study on white fragility at Connection Point that I listened to a podcast actually produced by KZUM for um, Lincoln Calling last summer or fall. Mm-hmm. And the podcast the the podcast was a panel that was about allyship, and it had. Um, people representing a lot of different communities across Lincoln talking about what it could mean for, you know, white, straight, cis people like us to be allies. And that was one thing they they said. And they're they're like, we really value, you know, when you help, when you use your voice to, to advocate for us. However, sometimes you just need to sit down and be quiet and let us do the talking. Um, because we can. Right. And I think there's, um, the people on the panel were great examples of of people who really can speak up for themselves um, and and who have wonderful things to say if we would be quiet and listen to them. Um, and so I, I think, you know, as we advocate for justice, sometimes being advocates means, depending on our identities, it means um, being quiet for a minute and letting the voices from the margins be heard. Right, everybody deserves to have a chance for their voice to be heard. Right, yeah, and sometimes we're so busy talking, we we don't get to do that. Well, I'm afraid that that's all the time that we have for today. You've been listening to Counterbalance, a progressive Christian talk uh, radio show hosted by Beth Medhusen and by me, Richard Randolph. Uh, be sure to tune in next Saturday, uh, June the 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. when we will be discussing the Bible and LGBTQ persons. That's right. Uh, Maybe you've been in a conversation uh, when someone has said, you know, the Bible clearly condemns LGBTQ people. If you've had one of those conversations, then you've probably heard one or more of the six so-called clobber passages that allegedly condemn uh, people with those identities. That's right. But uh, as we will discover next week, there is actually some excellent biblical scholarship, which shows that these condemnation verses have been misinterpreted and uh, misquoted. 
Yeah. So we'll be having a, a conversation about those passages and, and how to think about them in a new way. You can join us next week, June 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. to explore that topic on Counterbalance, Progressive Christian Perspectives. Until then, have a great Memorial Day weekend, and we look forward to having you join us next Saturday when uh, we uh, discuss these uh, six passages that uh, have been lifted up as uh, condemnation passages, but we disagree. Until then, goodbye.